Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another live Q&A edition of the Metrospective podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line, as always, by the Athletics Mets beat writer. The Mets offense has come to life. Uh, Five runs in the 10th inning against the Reds on Wednesday and then 10 runs against the Marlins on Thursday. And there's there's a touch of gray here for me. Because this would not have happened, right? There, there would not have been a 10th inning, I don't believe, in that game on Wednesday, were it not for the outstanding performance of Adonis Medina in long <laughs> relief in that game. And then his reward for throwing three shutout innings and letting the Mets crawl back into what became a, a very, very exciting win, his reward is he gets sent back to the minor leagues. And I get it. I understand that this is life at the fringes of a major league roster. But you can't tell me that that is okay. I'm sorry. Like, I just, I just don't think that's okay. I think there should be, like, some clause where, where players can agree, like, we, no, no, no. Like, we veto this transaction. The rest of the guys in the bullpen will wear it tomorrow because this guy deserves to stay with us after that performance. Yeah, it is such, a, like, a cruel part of it is kind of – the, the more, you know, if, if Adonis Medina goes out and doesn't pitch well in that, in that game or uh, can only go an inning and yeah, two-thirds rather right. than three, like he's fresher beyond that game and is probably still here and still, you know, he's, he's still making major league money. Like that, that's the big thing is for the next two weeks, he's down and, and his salary is drastically different uh, in the minor leagues until he gets called back up. And that's salary, that's, lifestyle, know. like so much of it. It's just a, it's a different world, right? Like you, he's, he's succeeding in the major leagues and his reward is to be sent back, back to the minor leagues. That's not fair. Yeah. Like I, I remember uh, uh, a few years ago covering it. I think the, the Red Sox played a 19 inning game and Heath Hembry was, it wasn't his first major league game, but it was close to it. Uh, and you know, he was, a, he's a one inning reliever and he threw like four innings in that game. Uh, and had said after like he had, he had never, he hadn't thrown that much since like early college or something. Uh, and as he was talking, he was like, yeah, so I'm probably going to get sent down because of that. Cause I can't pitch for a while now. Yeah. Uh, you realize just like that realization in his face in the moment, like, yeah, I had this great performance in a game uh, to, to keep us in it for a while. Big major league moment. Definitely not going to be here tomorrow because of it. And famously, uh, Mike Jacobs, uh, you, you remember this story, I assume. Uh, I, I know a couple different Mike Jacobs stories. I don't know which one you're going to. Uh, Mike Jacobs hit a, had a home run in his uh, three-run home run in his first major league plate appearance. And the Mets tried to send them back down after that. And Pedro Martinez revolted, and he says, like, you can't. This guy has had one plate appearance, and it's a three-run home run. You absolutely cannot send him down. And he talked the team out of sending down Mike Jacobs. They they caught fire in a bottle with with Jacobs that, that year because he had, he wound up hitting, like, 
15 home runs in the remaining 30 games or something absurd. And then they were able to make him part of the trade for Carlos Delgado. So one example of it working out where like a guy performs well, I mean, it's a different, a totally different situation when it's not a pitcher. Uh, it's just, I'm just saying, I just want to, I want to support Adonis Medina at this time. That's right, and, and with Medina, I mean, it's not just that he was good on Wednesday. Like he's been good. Like there was one one outing against the Rockies where he was lit up a little bit, but you know he got that save in Los Angeles. He's been very good outside of the one bad outing, and that's been a storyline for their bullpen all year. Is that you know we've talked a lot about the back end guys not being what you wanted, not not being uh, as it's not as formulaic as you want it to be. It's not, okay, it's three to one in the seventh inning. We go to this guy for the seventh, this guy for the eighth, and Diaz for the ninth. They've been mix and match a little bit more often, but uh, those kind of shuttle relievers, the guys who've been going back and forth between AAA and the major leagues, so that's Medina, that's Steven Nagosik, that's Colin Holderman. Uh, those guys have been really good for them, and those guys have pitched some really important innings for them in games that they ended up winning, uh, and that's been uh, kind of an under-the-radar development for them this year compared to some previous years. Yeah, and Holderman has looked good in in his return, and, and has looked good since the spring. So it's not about like oh they're and and it, they I think they had to they sent Medina down for Peterson coming off the paternity list technically right. I don't remember exactly the transaction, but I uh, know that can't be right because he relieved uh, Peterson there. Whatever they did, um, oh, they brought up Jake Reed because yeah, he needed, uh, and and, and Reed will probably go down. Uh, on we're recording this Friday afternoon, Reed might very well go down to make room for Chris Bassett uh, to make Friday start. Well, I want to say, oh, how about this? How about this? What if in this? Because those, those, like, I don't know. Medina throws throws three pitches, right? Like, and and he was a starter in the past. He's 25 years old. Like this guy, I don't know. Like, it sounded like earlier in the season, it sounded like the Mets were were fairly high on Medina, like, in, in terms of his his long term prospects, like. Do you think about stretching him out to start in AAA in case you get down that that uh, because we've seen it right we've seen them pushed to the eighth man in the rotation this year who is that ninth man and like should that be Adonis Medina? Well, I'd have to look up when he most recently started. I know he you know he he had some prospect pedigree uh, previously. I think with the Phillies he might have even been a top hundred prospect at some point. Mm-hmm. A few them. times, a few times. Um, so I, I don't know with, you know, now that you have Scherzer back, now that uh, Jacob deGrom is on his progression back, he's supposed to start uh, tonight, Friday night, uh, against the Daytona Tortugas uh, in the Florida State League. Uh, now that you've got some of those guys back, you, you're not as worried about who that ninth starter is because, right. look, you're, you're going to have, you know, Peterson and Trevor Williams are probably not going to be members of the rotation for that much longer. You know, it's probably Williams might not be, you know, he made his start on Thursday, his best start of the season, really in place of Bassett. Uh, and now that Bassett is back, uh, Williams might go back to being the long man in the bullpen. Uh, and then once DeGrom comes back, presumably after the all-star break, uh, that's when they make a decision on Peterson, whether he goes back to triple a uh, and continues as a starter, whether you use him out of the bullpen. And then you've got Tyler McGill potentially coming back sometime in August, probably more so as a reliever than as a starter at that point. Uh, I think he's a the guy they want to see in that relief role and, and, and what he can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know that uh, – I think there's probably more value to the major league team in the here and now for Medina to be, you know, a long man, a swing man, than, than going back and, and starting. All right. Well, I just wanted to say that this guy this guy got done dirty, in my opinion. <laughs> that is not right. I, don't, I just don't think that's right. I understand why it makes sense from, like, a, a shrewd, cold-hearted baseball executive perspective. But from my perspective as a human being, I'm going to say that's messed up. Because if he had just – if he had taken a dive and he came out and walked the first three batters, 
they wouldn't have sent him down. Well, uh, to to be fair, they would have been sending him down today to make room for Chris Bass. <laughs> right, so, right, yeah. I'm, it, I'm just saying. I just, it, you understand what I'm saying. One more yeah. day of big league pay, it would have been. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's a big difference. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, whatever. Um, we have some. We are, we now have uh, some people lining up to to join the stage to ask us questions that are hopefully not about Adonis Medina. Um, starting with Timothy R, who is waiting to join us. Timothy, what is up? Hey guys, thanks for calling on me. First time, long time. Um, I just wanted to ask, uh, I'm putting away all my Adonis Medina questions, but um, <laughs> I just wanted to ask, like, going into the draft, it feels like, I mean, generally the, the talent pool in the farm system is pretty thin, but especially on the pitching front, it seems to be really light. And so do you have any sense of if they would emphasize pitchers over position players or are they just going to go best player available? You know, I, I think it's still best player available. I do, you know, you look at what they did in the draft last year. Uh, you know, that was the first 20 round draft. It, you know, it used to be 40, then it was five in 2020. Now it's settled in at a 20 round draft. I think they took 12 pitchers with their 20, 20 picks last year. Uh, and they've had some reasonable success with those guys. Uh, you know, even though they didn't sign Kumar Rocker out of the first round, guys they got beyond that, they're pretty happy with where they are a year later. Uh, because they have the two first round picks, it wouldn't surprise me if they if they went hitter with one of them uh, and a pitcher with one of the others. Uh, you know, there have been a, a big number of college pit like the the top line college pitchers this year are not going in the top five because so many of them have gotten hurt. Uh, you know, you, there's a guy like Connor Prelip out of Alabama. He's he's a guy that we we did a beat writer mock draft. I had the Mets taking him at 14. Uh, he's a guy who had Tommy John surgery in May of 2021, uh, and so didn't pitch at all this college season, but is, you know, a guy who, unlike, say, when they drafted JT Ginn, he's not going to miss the first year. He's, he's close to a, to a return. Uh, I think they, you know, because they have two first round picks, it's a little easier for you to, to take someone who is coming off an injury, and there's a number of pitchers who fit that profile. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if they went in that, that direction. I don't think it's a necessity that they do because, uh, you know, because of the, the picks they made last year. And, and, Look, they can emphasize pitching and still take hitters at 11 and 14. Uh, they've got five picks in the top 90. Uh, they can go pitching after that. Uh, and, and again, because of the way uh, it's fallen for college pitchers this year, with a lot of them coming back from Tommy John and other ailments, uh, you, you might see those guys drop. Some guys with, with pretty good ceilings with some high potential dropping a little farther in the draft than they would if they were healthy. So I, I think that's probably where, they'll, where, where they will go. Um, you know, it's still baseball is still best player available in a way that football and basketball are not uh, because it's, it's so long until guys are ready. Uh, but you're, you're right. The, the, the pitching side of it, they don't have the guys close on the pitching side the way they do with some position players like we've talked about. I think that, uh, you know, something that gets missed, I, I, like, I like what he said about, you know, the, the distance between the draft and the majors, but also it seems like because the, the draft is drawing on such a, a an enormously variable um, set of levels of play, right? Whether you're drafting a, a Division One college player or like uh, Brandon Nemo playing American Union ball in, in Wyoming or whatever in high school, um, that teams have have there's great variability in how teams evaluate guys. So I think that 
you know, you might say, oh, like the Mets obviously blew off pitching in this draft because they happened to draft two hitters with those first 14 picks. But maybe it's that the guy they took at 14 was third on their board and he fell to them and they just had to, you know, they, they couldn't. It wasn't about, oh, we didn't want to prioritize pitching. It wasn't a philosophical thing. It was just, oh, our guy fell to us. And, and so it was no brainer. Yeah, I mean, you look at like the Red Sox, was it? I it was last year, 2020, when they drafted Nick York in the first round. He was a guy who everyone had this kind of like, you know, a, a top 100 draft pick, not a top 20 or the way he went. Uh, and everyone assumed it was like, oh, it's just this under slot thing. They're going to try to get someone else later, which it was to an extent. But the Red Sox also really liked Nick York, and he's turned into a, a pretty good prospect for them uh, on the middle infield. So, you know, the it's unlike the other drafts. This isn't really a draft where it's it goes in a linear fashion from the best player to all the way down to the bottom. Uh, you do have different strategies you take. The, I mean, the Mets have the, you know, because they have the two first round picks, they have the third highest uh, bonus slot value uh, after the teams have the top two. Uh, so uh, they can play around with the money a little bit. Uh, they can get creative with it. We've seen them do that in the past, clearly with the Matt Allen and JT Ginn picks. They can do something like that again, um, you know, I think people like that strategy. It gets you kind of high impact players, but it also is one of the reasons that their, their system is a little shallow. They haven't, uh, because you make, you know, you have to do senior signs after that. You get guys who maybe don't have the same kind of, uh, potential. Uh, so your system is, is not quite as deep as it might be otherwise, uh, if you're making picks the other way. Uh, so, you know, there's different ways they can go about it. And I think, uh, this is, you know, as, as my interview with Ted's replacement, Mark Chimuda, <laughs> last week, yeah, pointed out, you know, this is, uh, one of the most important drafts in franchise history. And it really sets them up for, uh, the next several years. It'll be really interesting to see kind of how they decide to go about it. You would have a much better podcast if you could replace me with him on the regular. I imagine at some point the Mets would probably want to dial it back, but uh, I thought that was fascinating. James Z is waiting to ask this question. James, what's up? Hey, guys. Uh, I have another draft question. Uh, so I was just wondering if uh, the Kumar Rocker shoulder surgery news brought any closure to the Mets' suspicions earlier last summer. And this is less of a Mets question, but I just thought it was really weird how Tim Corbin was on the panel for MLB uh, for college baseball on behalf of them after pushing Kumar Rocker to throw 125, 130 pitches and just wondering what MLB evaluators think every spring while they watch these guys kind of risk their arms. Yeah, I mean, to the, the second point, it is, it's really weird to, to cover Major League Baseball and, you know, to be watching like Max Scherzer start games and no, you know, he's not going to go much beyond 110 pitches. And then you, you follow along with college baseball in, in May and June and you see, Oh, this guy on two days rest is throwing 95 pitches after he threw, after he threw 112 the other day. Uh, and there's guys throwing 125, 130, like you said, um, you know, to be fair, to be fair, there's like, cause Jeff Passan had a, had a long article, an interesting article about this this week. I think it was Passan, right. Uh, about like how, you know, for all of the the minimizing of pitch counts, there's still not like a whole lot of evidence that that necessarily is what's causing injuries here, right? Because if you're throwing 90 pitches as hard as you possibly can or pacing yourself out for 125, it doesn't necessarily strain your arm one more. Like just to, to defend the college coaches a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't watch enough college baseball to know whether guys are actually pacing themselves for 125 right, pitches. Right, right, you know, right. that, that's that's the difference in Major League Baseball I know, now. I know I was to... big on. I know in college I was always big on pacing myself. I was very <laughs> mature, and I and I knew my knew my bodily limits for sure. <laughs> As all college students do. Yeah. Um, you know, with with Rocker and his shoulder surgery. Well, the, the the news coming out that that he had had that last year. I don't think the I think there's probably more closure from a public perspective than than from uh, the Mets internally. I think they've they've felt they've been okay with that decision for a long time. Uh, I know that they've been criticized for it. We've criticized them for it and the way they they uh, maneuvered their draft last year. Uh, and I, I I do think the people like Mark Tremuda and Tommy Tanis who run their draft are generally really good at running their draft. They've done a really good job. Uh, I think it's one one thing that's interesting to think about. Like. I think one of the main storylines of this draft is where is Kumar Rocker going to go? Um, and then what does the team do with him once they have him? There is kind of some thought that he can be fast-tracked uh, into a major league reliever as soon as this year. And I think one of the weird alternate histories we can imagine is had the Mets signed Kumar Rocker last year, would we have spent the last two months on this podcast saying, you know, the Mets could use a, a late inning reliever. Is Kumar Rocker that guy? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting what if, but uh I'll be I'll be intrigued to see. I don't think he's going to go before the Mets pick at 11. Uh, certainly, whoever they do pick at 11 is going to be compared to him over time, uh, whether it's a pitcher or a hitter. You see, you know what that guy produces versus what Rocker does, uh, and and how quickly he moves through. You know, there. <laughs> I don't know how many guys who who do get drafted in that. Like we can make him a reliever right away mode. End up being very good. Craig Hansen in in Boston didn't work out that way. Uh, David uh, Price. David Price was good. Well, David Price was was the number one overall right, pick. Right. Um, was you, you might know this better than I, I do, Ted. Was Eddie Coons drafted with that in mind, like that that he would yes. be there right away? He was. A, well, I think not right away, but he was definitely. He was like a second round pick, and he was definitely drafted as as like quick rising closer because we need bullpen help. Yeah, so you know it's uh, Rocker is uh, he's a fascinating pitcher to watch in general, even before all of this drama in the last year, and uh, it will be even more uh, interesting to watch how his his career unfolds, even in the short term, uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, Noah G has been waiting to ask a question, and I think I've let him in. Serious. Hey guys, thanks for bringing me up to the stage. Uh, I had a question, uh, Tim about an article you wrote a couple weeks ago about DeGrom's contract situation and why he is likely to opt out, even if he suffers setbacks this year. And apologies if this is more of a comment than a question, but I was really surprised to hear that uh, executives, rival GMs, would consider his situation comparable to Verlander's situation when he got his contract after having sat out for a year and a half after Tommy John surgery, you know, to me, they're not really comparable situations. You've got Verlander coming off of a, a surgery that has pretty reliable recovery results. I mean, not a hundred percent, obviously I know some guys don't make it back, but you know, you could somewhat count on him returning to being a quality pitcher. Whereas with DeGrom, we have someone who, has had these series of sort of inexplicable arm injuries popping up for a year and a half. And I was just surprised to hear that it was such a no doubter for DeGrom and that GMs would be happy to pounce on him at that price. And I guess my question is what am I missing here that makes these situations so comparable? Well, I I think um, I I probably should have pointed out in that story uh, that 
they're, they're not, that's not a one-to-one analogy because of the differences in injury. Um, I, I do think the DeGrom has a more, like if DeGrom were just, if it were last year's injury history repeating itself this year, where it is kind of just this mysterious ailment, uh, I think that would be more concerning. I think this year there is a set diagnosis for what, what's happened to him. And, you know, I, I know it's taken a long time for him to come back from it, but that's kind of what it took Brandon McCarthy the first time he had this injury to come back from it. You know, it, it takes a little while that first time. Uh, and even though this is something that recurs going forward for, for or did for McCarthy several times, it has for Michael Waka as well. There is kind of a, an idea, a blueprint for how to handle it moving forward. Um, the, the th- and, and maybe I also could have put in, you know, it depends on the, the magnitude of the setback uh, for what DeGrom faces. You know, if, if he suffers an additional injury that's completely different from the shoulder thing that he's gone through, uh, maybe that changes the, the calculus. But to me, it's, you know, you've got Justin Verlander missing two seasons and entering his age 39 year and getting something that was pretty, re- you know, pretty reasonable and pretty comparable to what DeGrom is slated to make over the next two years. Um, and DeGrom is five years younger than that uh, and has been better even than, than Verlander had been uh, when healthy. So I think, uh, and you, you've got the way teams view their starting pitchers. Uh, they're not necessarily looking for a 180 inning horse <laughs> out of every, every, all five guys in the rotation. I think there'd be a team that'd be willing to say, you know what, we'll get Jacob DeGrom in our rotation. We'll take as many amazing innings as we can get out of him. Uh, and, you know, they'll, they'll structure contract maybe similar to the way the Verlander one was. Uh, so certainly Verlander is going to opt out of that deal after the first year. But I thought, you know, going into the season, the Verlander's contract was the floor for DeGrom. Uh, you know, a, a series of weird maladies would change that. But now that it's basically just been the one, I think that doesn't, that doesn't change it to this point in my mind, that he would still opt out, um, you know, if he suffers a, a weird setback uh, and doesn't pitch at all this season. Maybe that changes it, but I, I think he would still really seriously contemplate opting out in that spot. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I would say one more thing in in Verlander's favor. And DeGrom, before this injury, was largely healthy. Verlander has been, like, exceptionally healthy throughout his career. And, and so, like, you know, the 39, obviously the, you know, Time is undefeated, right? But I think that you 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 can couch the age a little bit by saying like, okay, but this guy, other than this this recent injury, which again, like Noah said, is a is sort of a a known injury, a known recovery. Um, otherwise, you know, Verlander's a lock for for 33 starts, 34 starts a year, and and that's true of of basically no one else. So um, it's an, it's an interesting comp for sure. We got we have uh, ONC waiting patiently to ask a question. Owen, what's up? Hey guys, how's it going? Um, love the pod, uh, long time listener, uh, first time live speaker. Um, uh, this is more, I guess, of a fun one rather than next and those one. Uh, with Keith's uh, retirement ceremony happening tomorrow, I was wondering who should have their number retired next and who would you want to see get their number retired might not be, you know, right in the pipeline. 
uh, David Wright is not an acceptable answer. He's too obvious. So I'm wondering what <laughs> oh, your thoughts well, are. We can't want David Wright. To, like, I feel like oh, David you can Wright's want the, it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. Uh, Tim, what are you thinking? I mean, my answer is that I want number five to go up uh, on the board for Tsuyoshi Shinjo. That it is an amazing idea. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think for me, I think the next group would probably be, uh, if you're, if you're taking right out of the equation, it's probably, uh, strawberry and Gooden, right? 16 and 18, mm-hmm. uh, well, 18 and 16 respectively, uh, that you're thinking about, uh, Gary Carter at number eight would be up there as well. Um, you know, we've seen them certainly start to honor their history a bit more of late. With the, the Kuzman move was kind of the, the first start of that. And that was under the old ownership, under Steve Cohen. Uh, it, it, at the very end of the Wilpon ownership, they kind of acknowledged that they had messed up their alumni relations for a long time. Uh, and so they retired Kuzman's number. They, Jay Horowitz, the longtime PR guy, is now the alumni relations director and keeps in touch with those guys, you know, doing that Keith Hernandez story that I that published today, um, talking to guys. A lot of them mentioned just kind of casually on the side. It's nice to see the Mets honoring their history in a way they hadn't before. Uh, so I, I think it's probably I'd probably go strawberry first um, out of that group just because of uh the longevity he had with them in the eighties and how important he, you know, he was, uh, it's, it's probably debatable between him and Hernandez as the best player on that 86 team, that, but the best position player, uh, a guy who, who probably should have won an MVP in 1988. Uh, and, and really, you know, a top three hitter in Mets history. If you want to put him up with, with Piazza and Wright, that's probably your, your group. Yeah. I, I mean, I think strawberry, I, I think I would make the case for Gooden over strawberry because that was, you know, again, like that he was, he was, and he wasn't really the ace in, in 86, but he was still like the, he wasn't the best pitcher on the 86 team. Um, but he was still, I think he was still the guy you'd call the ace, you know, like he was just like Gooden. He had, had two of the greatest first pitching seasons in history. Um, if you go by career wins above replacement, uh, Gooden is, is third for the Mets behind Seaver and Wright. Um, but I mean, but I don't know why we have to just eliminate Wright from this, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's the guy, like, uh, you know, I, I mean, that guy deserves to have his, he deserves the franchise in my opinion. Uh, the least they could do is retire his number. Yeah. And, and with Gooden and Strawberry, I, I think it'd be ridiculous to pick between them. Like if one goes in, the they other follows suit, like yeah. you could do you would do it in like you would have a Doc and Daryl weekend, basically. Like you'd retire one of them on on Friday and one of them on Saturday, uh, and and really honor that era in Mets history. And I think with Hernandez, like it's 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 that he was part of the '86 Mets, but also that he's become such a part of the team's culture in retirement, right? Because I think that if if Hernandez is not a broadcaster for the Mets for the last whatever it is, 17 years, then I, I don't know that that they're necessarily retiring his number, right? Oh yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that you know this second life for him with the, with the organization, which you know it means that he's been involved with the Mets for four decades essentially, and is known to uh, Mets fans dating back to the, <laughs> back to the, that trade in 1983. Uh, like he, you know, there's there's not a generation of Mets fans that that doesn't connect with him uh, at this point, and so uh, I think that that definitely plays a part in this decision to, to retire his number. Because if you're just talking, if you're talking like pure contributions to the team, um, wins above replacement. And again, you got to give Hernandez extra points because he won the World Series, and and there's only two teams that have done that with the Mets. Um, but uh, he's actually below uh, on the Mets all-time WAR leaderboard, below not just Wright and Gooden and Strawberry and Jacob Degrom, who's probably uh, on that list of of guys who'll get their number retired eventually. 
Uh, but also Carlos Beltran, Eduardo Alfonso, uh, Sid Fernandez, who no one's going to talk about retiring 5-0, um, and Jose Reyes and John Matlack. So, yeah, like Keith is obviously a, a huge part of the team's culture, a leader of you know, the leader, the co-captain of the best team in their history. I have no qualms about retiring 17. Uh, I just think, you know, like like you said, it's 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 nice. It's a nice thing, right? Like some of these teams, the White Sox retired Harold Baines's jersey while he was still playing, and it feels like the Mets are like so tight with it. Just like to retire a few more numbers, the Yankees are running out already. Uh, Howard C is waiting to ask a question. Yes, hi. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you guys for doing. A uh, great job uh, covering the Mets. Uh, my question is, uh, with the upcoming series and uh, the lead down to three and a half games uh, with the Braves, uh, will we see the Mets making any moves way before August 2nd, uh, especially if uh, the Braves take the lead? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think we're getting to the part of July where it, it wouldn't be a you know, we're, I think we're, we're close enough where the moves aren't way before at this point. This isn't like the Brewers adding CC Sabathia in June of 2008. Um, so I, I think, was that June? That might have been earlier. That might have been like July 8th or something. Um, but, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're close enough to the deadline where any move now is still kind of a quote unquote deadline move, um, or we're getting there at least. Um, I, I don't expect them, you know, the, the reason teams don't make those moves beforehand is, well, uh, the, the team trading a guy likes to build up a large, as large a market as possible. More teams make the decision on what they want to do and what they need by August 2nd than they would by July 10th. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if you want to want to add David Robertson or something, the Cubs want to create a bidding war for David Robertson. Uh, they, they want, uh, you know, teams like the Giants to decide whether they're in or out. Teams like the Phillies to decide how aggressive they want to be uh, in, in the trade market. Uh, and so they want to create that kind of time pressure uh and they, they think you can, they can extract more from that time pressure than they can from giving you an extra two, three weeks of a guy. Uh, so that's why uh, all of these trades happen in the last week before the deadline generally. Uh, so I, I also, you know, I think the Mets have some ideas on what they want to try before the trade deadline and whether that's, you know, seeing what they can get out of that J.D. Davis-Dominic Smith combo at, at designated hitter uh, now that Smith has looked a little bit better since coming back uh, from AAA Syracuse, like I wrote about the other day. Davis obviously had the grand slam on Thursday night. Uh, they want to see where their offense is at at that point. Um, you know, I don't think the Nats are going to move Josh Bell between, <laughs> you know, in the next week. Um, and then they want to see, you know, if, if those guys don't work out, you know, you can give maybe Mark Vientos a slight run before – the trade deadline is probably getting a little bit too late to do that. But uh, I don't think they make a move between now and like the all-star break. Uh, I think that would be a, a bit of a surprise. Um, and, and probably that, that kind of move would not be the big move. You know, it would be more in line of like the Rich Hill move was July 23rd last year. Uh, you know, that kind of thing does happen a week before the deadline. Most everything else takes place uh, the, those last couple of days. The CC Sabathia trade happened 14 years ago yesterday, uh, July 7th, 2008. Uh, can you name any of the players that the the Indians received, the now Guardians received in return for CC Sabathia? Uh, Michael Brantley is the main one, Michael I believe. Brantley, yeah. uh, Matt Laporta? Yeah, Matt, Matt Laporta. Laporta in that? He was. Uh, and Laporta was the big prospect, I believe, at the time of the trade. Because uh, Brantley was a player to be named later. Was someone with the last name Gamel involved in that? 
No, that was an that was Matt Gamble. He was part of a different trade, and I forget uh, right. Uh, Matt M A T Gamble was also a Brewers guy. Um, he, no, he was never traded. Never mind. But he was also <laughs> a Brewers guy at that time. Um, he was similar to Laporta. Uh, we'll take one more. We'll take uh, Brian S is waiting to ask a question. Brian, welcome. Uh, hi. Yes. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Um, my question is around uh, the potential for a Brandon Nimmo extension. Um, while he's been a great player for the Mets, obviously homegrown efforts there all the time. Um, clearly, they have a need for power um, when they think about uh, constructing the roster going forward. Um, his numbers are great, um, fan favorite, but is center field somewhere like obviously Aaron Judge uh, being a being a potential free agent? is someone to think about. Um, but do, do, do you think the Mets will prioritize bringing Nimmo back on, uh, in, in free agency? How dare you ask this question the same week he hit two three-run homers? <laughs> Man, tough crowd. Um, right. I, I do think uh, – I think they will prioritize it. It's, you know, they've got the, the three big free agents to be that they've got are DeGrom if he opts out, Nimmo and Edwin Diaz. Uh, it, it's probably going to be hard for them to re-sign all three. Um, so it, you know, it depends on how hard they want to make it on themselves in terms of a budget. Um, it would be, I, I, I don't expect them to re-sign all three. Uh, I think Nimmo might be the easiest to re-sign. Um, but I also think he's probably the one they would prioritize the least out of that group. Um, he's easiest to re-sign. I mean, he's easiest to re-sign because he's yet to really play a fully healthy season. As great, as great of a player as he's been whenever he's on the field, uh, right. I mean, other than 2020, he, I don't think he's had a – has he had a season with, without a DL stint? Uh, I don't believe so. Uh, so when I wrote about uh, what an extension might look for look like for him back in the spring, uh, you know, Byron Buxton was uh, a, a comparison because of Buxton's own injury history, uh, which, you know, Buxton misses more time, also has a higher ceiling than Nimmo as a player, uh, and is kind of putting that together a little bit more this year. Uh, with Nimmo, I think the big question you have to ask yourself uh, is – how long do we think he's going to be a center fielder? Uh, he's certainly, you know, at the end of 2020, the thought was not anymore. Uh, and he's really remade himself into not just a, a, a tenable center fielder, but a good center fielder uh, defensively. And that's, that's really changed, I think, his value to the Mets and, and to the league as a whole at a time when there are not a ton of really good two-way center fielders. Uh, so if you think that, okay, if we sign Brandon Nimmo for five years, that he can play center field all five years, you're not as concerned about the gen- the relative lack of power that he has, that his overall game is still really valuable in that spot. Um, but if you think that, okay, he can play it for two more years, then we're probably going to have to move him to a corner uh, and get a different center fielder in here. Uh, then you're a little bit more concerned that, that his profile, you know, that that guy you're playing in center field two years from now probably isn't going to be a power hitter either. Uh, so what do you do to get more home runs out of your lineup? Maybe it's a time to move on from Nimmo and get someone else in there to play a corner. Uh, by the way, uh, Alonzo, McNeil, uh, there's, they need to be more aggressive with the extensions than they have been in the recent past, right? Because I, in, like, I think there's a, there's a really good case that, that they already should have done something. They should have done with, something with Nimmo three, four years ago, right? Like when, 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 uh, when you're first buying out our beers rather than trying to come to an extension when, when free agency is right around the corner. I mean, absolutely. We've, we've talked about this a lot. I've, I've written about it for years on this beat that, you know, like the Mets could have 
come to an extension agreement with Brandon Nimmo at the end of 2018. That would have been like, you know, a five-year, $35 million kind of thing um, with club options that extended it uh, for longer into his 30s. And so we would be having this conversation right now, you know, how much money would they have saved on Jacob deGrom had they done that extension uh, earlier in his career? They would have lost money at times. You know, if they had extended Ahmed Rosario, it wouldn't have worked out quite the same way. If they'd extended Matt Harvey, certainly it wouldn't have worked out. Uh, But I think in the long run, you know, the risk reward of those, especially for a team in a big market like New York, uh, is so tilted. Like if you if you nail one of those and get surplus value out of it, it makes up for like missing on three or four of them. You know, you think of like the Astros missed on John Singleton. Uh, that cost them $10 million. Uh, but they, they did really well on Jose Altuve's initial deal. And that saved them, what, $100 million, something like that. So uh, I think that's uh, a reason for you to be more aggressive as an organization. That we'll, we'll see how they are with this new front office. They didn't have much of a chance to uh, this past offseason. Uh, but uh, they're in a position where signing extensions is going to be good generally for uh, their luxury tax moving forward, looking down the line, uh, lowering kind of the, the what guys count against the luxury tax in 24 and 25 years from now. Uh, I think that's, that's something that they should be looking at more aggressively. And, and it's something that they should have been looking at more aggressively for the last 10, 10 years. Right. And, and like you brought up Harvey and that's true. Like, yes, they would have regretted it if they had signed Harvey, but if you're going by the same logic, like, they definitely wouldn't have regretted it if they had locked up DeGrom sooner, as you mentioned, or, or Wheeler, right? Like if they had if they had locked up all those guys, then you'd say like, oh, like Syndergaard and Matt's like they're still sort of like we're still sort of, sort of waiting. But both of those guys did ultimately sign big free agent contracts elsewhere. Um, you know, so it's not like they were, would have been like, oh, a total loss. They haven't been great this year. But clearly Wheeler and DeGrom have been great. And if if you hit on two of the five even – you're getting so much surplus value that it covers the rest of it. And, you know, even if you don't think you're going to be in the best, uh, like, competitive situation, like, you're like, why extend this guy? We're not going to be very good. I mean, the, the Mets are not in this position right now, clearly. But remember, like, the White Sox extended a lot of their core. Atlanta did this under Frank Wren in, like, 2013 and 2014. They extended a bunch of guys, and then they decided that the core they had extended was not good enough to be to, to make the playoffs to win a division and then you trade those guys and there's huge value in trading cost control pieces right. you know like chris uh, sale was, yeah, was worth say. so much more because he was he had signed an extension adam eaton was worth lucas giolito because he had signed an extension you know the, the guys atlanta traded andrelton simmons all those guys uh, they were worth more because they had signed extensions so uh it, it it can work out in more ways than one for you as an organization uh, that seems like a, as good a place to, as any to, to wrap up, Tim, uh, we will speak again next week, next week. I should say, we're going to flip flop the, the format and do the live show early in the week and the recorded show later in the week. Um, because we have a special guest coming on Tuesday when we do the live show. So, uh, that's a, a little bit of, of excitement, intrigue, some intrigue. Yeah, it will be a, a very exciting uh, guest star on, on Tuesday that we're looking forward to. Uh, oh, we, yeah. Uh, um, until then, peace out. Adios. Adios.